Well, welcome back to the Pastor Pleck podcast. Uh, we've got a question uh, this week that is, I think, one that I think a lot of people are wrestling with. And uh, I've been asked it by actually more than one person. So uh, I think this is why it, it comes such a relevant, relevant, relevant time. Recently, John MacArthur uh, made a statement saying the church will violate uh, the state restrictions and he will not uh, bow to Caesar. He will bow only to Jesus. And and so the, the question that was asked is like, what are my thoughts on that? Is, is John MacArthur doing the right thing? And how can I speak into that. Now, first off, I will say John MacArthur is, um, he's been a pastor like for 50 years, and so probably his wisdom and his uh, abilities are far greater than mine. But I can speak into uh, this situation from what, um, as a person in Texas, as what our church is doing, and really what I feel the Bible should be convicting us on. So in, the art, in, in John MacArthur's statement, uh, he basically wrapped his head around um, yeah, you know, we will obey God rather than men, and he's taken a lot of flack for it. Um, but he has also had he has a thirty five hundred uh, seat auditorium, and people are in there worshiping shoulder to shoulder, no mask, no nothing, and that's just um, the way it is. So, and then you've got others who have, uh, like Andy Stanley, who have shut down church completely and said we will not do church until 2021. In other words, six months at the time uh, from the point at which uh, they were doing. Now, is that right? And is that biblical? And is it possible in this day and age when the church, ecclesia is the Greek word, literally means the gathering or the assembly, uh, how, what are we to do with that? So uh, I've taken some time to, to write down some thoughts on this. And remember, the public worship gathering is not a new controversial uh, topic for Christians. If you've been living in a closed country like North Korea or Afghanistan or Somalia, gathering as a Christian today, meaning with coronavirus, is just as dangerous as gathering as a Christian last year when there was no coronavirus because it was illegal. The only difference is the police will knock at your door in North Korea, and today it might be a virus, or actually it could be also the police. Uh, with gatherings being so dangerous, meaning the coronavirus or persecution, is it wise for people in persecuted or pandemic-stricken places to meet? And how important is a corporate worship gathering? And the real question is, do I really need the corporate worship gathering? And I think that question, this question has so many layers to it. And it's not just a simple, like, just do what John MacArthur does, or John MacArthur is a heretic, or John MacArthur is bad, or Andy Stanley's a heretic, or Andy Stanley is great, he's done it. All right. I think there's so many layers to this that you can't just uh, have a blanket statement without a ton of explanation behind it. So I want to peel back some layers to get to what Scripture says, and then look from that lens at our lives and see the direction we need to take uh, our lives. So can I just tell you one, one of my pet peeves? I, I think everyone's got pet peeves, and, and I, as a pastor, I have one of them. One of my pet peeves is from people in non-pandemic times saying something like this. I don't need the church. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. When a person says that, what they mean is, I don't need people around me to live my life out as a Christian. Or perhaps, perhaps their core issue is, I don't need, um, or I'm afraid. Maybe it's, I'm afraid that people who are Christians will look down on me for my lifestyle that doesn't conform to what I think Christians expect, and so I prefer not to be around them. And I think that is why Christians don't gather. Now, in a non-pandemic time. 
So many of us good-natured peacemaker types don't push back on that because we are normal civilized people and are not wanting to make something like going to church the main thing. And I think for a lot of us, you're you're talking to people about church and they're an unchurched person. They would say, yeah, I did the Jesus thing when I was younger. I just don't do church people. And then we sort of throw up our hands and give in as opposed to challenge that. And we and listen, it's hard to challenge that in a winsome way. Uh, and so I don't recommend like to the person on the street, you know, wearing a cardboard placard say go to church or else I, I think what you do when a person says something like that is like you you lean into tell me about that church experience and then inevitably they're going to talk to some disagreement and listen as i've been doing my quiet time in the book of acts like there's always been disagreements people not just like small disagreements it literally says in acts 15 and there was no small disagreement and they were fighting so much they got a council together to help decide stuff there was times when um in, in acts 15 also where um because a guy had failed them in the past they're like i'm not taking that a guy again and then that broke up a relationship between paul and barnabas so even the most religious Christian, spiritual people, even Peter and Paul had an argument. And so um, for me to, for when someone says, I don't need the church, I say, you because I've been hurt, I'd say, that's why you need the church is because you've been hurt because you can't love your brother whom you can see. Or if you can't love your brother who you can see, how can you love your God who you can't see? That's 1 John 4. So like, that reality has to come into play at some point. Okay, so that's my pet peeve. That was my like two-second like moment of uh, ranting. But let, let's go to God's Word. I, I think it's necessary to talk about why a gathering is necessary and why it's also essential to the, essential to the Christian life. And I think everybody knows the verse. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. It goes a little something like this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, that's three, three verses. The first 23 is that the confession of our hope is that we need to hold on to is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. So that's a big deal that when you gather, it should be gathering around that idea. Verse 24 says, we need to think about how to stir up each other to do love and good works. And it's using uh, a Greek word for stir up, which is actually paruxamon, which is from the root word, which means to incite or even better, irritate, which I love that. The NIV translation goes with spur, ESV goes stir up, um, but I like the pure Greek is to irritate people to do good works, which is sort of weird to even think about. It, it, so just go with the NIV for a second. And the NIV goes with spur, like the way a rider would kick into the flank of a horse to motivate it with a pointy object on the back of the boot. It seems that being a Christian at times might be uncomfortable. And I think this is where a lot of Christians struggle. I don't want to be uncomfortable at church. I go to ch church to make myself feel happy. And so then you'll say, I only want to go to a church where I feel good. Well, listen, and don't take this the wrong way. In your joy for Jesus, there's going to be something called conviction, and it shouldn't be guilt. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Okay, so you guys get that. But there's this thing that we sort of struggle. Now, there are times when you're sad. And did you know it's okay to be sad? Did you know you don't always have to be a, a joyful, happy, singing person? That There are times when, when sadness is required. Um, 
at our church, at our church, Wells Branch Community Church, we say it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And at times, we can all want to sit in our misery or in our darkness. There's even scriptural precedent for that. Psalm 88 has not one phrase of hope. In fact, it ends, if you have, I think the NIV, it ends with, and darkness is my only friend. Like, think about that. The Bible has a chapter of the Bible that ends with, darkness is my only friend. I can't think of anything more hopeless than that. But I think there's something really powerful about that. That there is a place to be miserable, and it's okay. But listen, listen. Of the 150 Psalms, only one ends without eyes looking up to God. At some point, the healthiest thing a person in a state of despair can do is look up. Look up to God and cry out for the intimacy of God that gives us the ability to walk in grace. Now, look, verse 25 builds on verse 24 of the need to irritate or incite or spur or stir up one another to love and good deeds by not neglecting to meet with one another. And all the more as you see the day that Jesus returns drawing near. The verse reminds me of the bumper sticker years ago, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> however, for Christians, the end, or the, however, Christians, the day of Jesus' return is not one of fear, but of hope. But we only have a limited time until his return, and therefore we should be preparing our hearts and consecrating our lives to be more like him. But Christians need to meet for the purpose of spurring and stirring one another on to love and good deeds. Um, at our church, one of the things that we do is we preach two messages every Sunday simultaneously. We want people to hear that they are loved, that the God of the universe cares for them, and that Jesus is looking to build a relationship with them. He wants them to come to him. If that person is weary and burdened, he will give you rest. rest. But the second message we're trying to convey to everyone is that the rest we find in Jesus allows us to do his work, which is our purpose. In fact, Jesus said, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Within that phrase is that Jesus is in charge. He doesn't come, or he doesn't say, hey, come to me, uh, for a permanent vacation from the issues that are causing you to run to him. He strengthens you and trains you to go and stand up under the weight of life. And that's why we call people to, to gather together to rest in the hope that we have in Jesus. It reminds our souls corporately that there is someone greater, someone more powerful, someone in control when we all feel anxious, and then spur one another on to grow through our times in the valley. An old mentor of mine used to say, God grows us in the valley and gives us vision on the mountain. And don't forget the vision when you head back to the valley to grow. So I guess this comes to the question then, why is, isn't everyone excited about gathering? I think it's odd because the literal meaning of the Greek word for church, ecclesia, which I've said this before, means the gathering. But there are reasons why people resist corporate worship. And we see these reasons in scripture. In Nehemiah 8, as Ezra read and explained the law of God, the people wept under feeling the weight of their lack of following God's law. They realized how far from God they had strayed. In 2 Kings uh, 22, the king's secretary, I think his name was Shaphan, read the book of the law to King Josiah. And when the king heard how he and his people had not followed God's law, he tore his clothes and wept. The word of God exposes us. How about this? Acts 7, as Stephen preached the history of Israel and then came to his point of application that all needed to repent and turn to Jesus, he was stoned to death. It was just words. 
<laughs> but words have power. And when God asks us to change, God asks us to humble ourselves before him, and we have a tendency to stone the messenger or ignore the messenger. Not long ago, uh, Adrian invited a friend to uh, attend our church, and she literally cried the whole time, and she never came back. Um, she said she felt so exposed. It was like her heart was on fire. She felt the presence of God, and it scared her. And every now and then, I'll see her watching services online, and my hope is that one day she'll have the courage to return. But isn't it true that people don't want to be irritated, incited, spurred, or stirred up to love and good deeds? It causes too much introspection. Other people have come up with things like, I just don't get anything out of church. I'm just not being fed anymore. The problem with that statement is, is Isaiah 55, 11. It says this, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Or Hebrews 12, 13. You guys know this. Uh, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even the point of dividing from soul, from spirit, and joints from marrow. It's able to judge the desires and the thoughts of the heart. And no creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. So I think for some of us, we don't want our heart exposed. We don't want the uncomfortable truth of declaring our love for God, but then refusing to live it out. That's cognitive dissonance, and it's hard. But at the same time, that is what leads to growth. <laughs> we all say we want to grow until we're asked to do the things that cause us to grow. All right, so what do we do? We need each other. <laughs> I, I know, I know. You're, you're not arguing we don't. Listen, you're sitting there going, yeah, everyone knows we need each other. The isolation of the pandemic is making us crazy. Um, in a pandemic, how can we live together without putting our family or our community in danger of spreading disease that's killed 3.4% of those infected by it. So let, let's just get to the facts. Now, listen, I, I don't want to debate um, whether all these people died of something else and they just happened to have coronavirus, which is very possible and very true. Uh, but at the at, at currently, 3.4% of the people in America who have contracted coronavirus, so this isn't out of the 300 plus million people, it's out of the... However, however many million people in the United States have contracted the virus, have died, okay? Uh, everyone else has recovered and are fine. Uh, although I'm not saying that there aren't people that have some long-term side effects. There are. Um, they're in the minuscule percent of people that have contracted the virus. I think everyone knows that, okay? Everyone knows that. It, but this is a disease that kills. I, but I don't want to uh, dance around that. I, I want to own the fact that 3.4% of the population that get coronavirus are killed by it. Okay, so what do we do? We can gather online. I think this is a reasonable response. Um, however, this is hard. For those who choose this option of gathering online, you have to overcome the difficulty of sitting through a song on the TV and a sermon when children are around, or like you're trying to pay attention to an adult level talk when kids are screaming. And back in the olden days when church was, you know, when there was like a church building and it didn't have Sunday school classrooms and all that, uh, everybody sat in church together. And so that would be a reasonable thing, I think, if 
<laughs> let's just be real, if we were parenting really, really well. Uh, but I, if, I don't know how long I could get my five, my seven-year-old could probably do it. My five-year-old can do it somewhat. My three-year-old, no way. He's better ready to do some sprints. Uh, my one-year-old is climbing on top of the counter. If we turn around, he, uh, yesterday I think he threw a glass down from the table because he somehow got up on it. All right, so it is hard, okay? Okay. Um, so perhaps we look at this as a great training opportunity for us to discipline and love our children to cultivate a heart of worship with the hopes that our over-frustration doesn't result in them resenting church. That, that's the one thing I struggle with. I don't want my kids to hate church. Uh, because I sat, I forced them to sit in an environment that wasn't really kid friendly, but at the same time, I want to. I understand. We need to. We need to. So the, one of the ways that you can do it is to comment and engage through some hearts of maybe laughy faces when we all agree with what the preacher is preaching, and then grasp the reality that there are houses all over the city worshiping. You know. You know how I, I felt like this went really well um, this week. Um, uh, about a hundred of us got on a Zoom call. Um, to pray for Pastor Chuck Layden, who was in the hospital with pneumonia. And we pray that God would spare him. And um, there was something about being with a hundred other people. And we prayed Korean style, which if you're not familiar with what Korean style is, that's where everyone prays at the same time. And it's just this cacophony of prayer. And um, I prayed and I just started weeping. I don't know what it was. It, it was just the sense that I, the one of the things I love about corporate worship and being around with a lot of people is feeling this unbelievable sense of power when there is the surrounding of the people of God all crying out, all singing together, even horribly. Like even bad singing. There's something really special about that. And it, and it caused me to weep because I knew that God in heaven could hear and I know that God hears me in my intimacy of my prayer one-on-one, but I know that. But there was something special. It's like a rally. Yeah, and maybe you've never been to a rally. Uh, at West Point, when we were um, plebes, when we were freshmen, um, we had this thing where we would rally every Friday night before a home football game. And when I mean rally, this this is where take take like a protest of some sort, but do it in a positive manner, right? What we would do is... And this is the part where you're like, what? This is a government-funded school? Yeah, trust me, I know. Listen, we were all pent-up plebes who had no life. And we would essentially run around in our underwear, uh, about a thousand of us. I know, a thousand of us. And we would cry out. And we would yell. And we would sing the Army Fight song. And we would cry out. There was this uh, song that kind of went from a, a song to a chant. It was called The Core. And went, the core, the core, the core, the core bareheaded salute it with eyes of thanking our God that we of the core are treading where they are the core of trod. They're here in ghostly assemblage, the men of the core long dead. And each man feels to his marrow the grip. There was something really special and powerful about talking about the men of the core long dead. Because West Point has been around since 1802. And so when, when, I, when you're thinking back uh, to this one song, or really it was a chant, and all the men that chanted it, guys like Eisenhower, guys like Grant, guys like Patton, 
Bradley, MacArthur, Schwarzkopf. I mean, something connected me to my past, and it would cause me to tear up. Feeling the weight of a thousand plebes yelling about the connection to this crazy institution that we were being changed from civilians to warriors was unbelievably powerful. And listen, um, being a person who spent a lot of my life overseas, okay, not a lot, some of my life overseas, in a wartime environment where a church was about 10 guys sitting in a room and singing from a hymnal and experiencing the presence of God there to being surrounded by hundreds, thousands of people here in the United States singing and just feeling the roar, connecting me all the way back to Peter and Paul, all the way back to the New Testament stories of struggle, all the way back to Jesus, all the way back, same truths declaring that Jesus rose from the dead. I, I don't. You can't get that in your house without an acknowledgement of something far greater going on. That's why uh, one of the things I feel like is so important is perhaps for those who can only meet online that we have some sort of Zoom experience where you see corporate singing, corporate worship, corporate reaction, because watching it on YouTube or Facebook or Twitch is... Um, it's like watching something secondhand and not being able to experience it live. So um, that's an aside, I guess, but I, I just think that's important. All right, so next thing. Um, there's another way to, to gather together, and this might be kind of what I was alluding to. We can gather in homes as pods. Pods, if you don't know what pods are, they're a group of people who agree to social distance and practice measures that the government calls us to practice, but get together for social and spiritual interaction. It's like an extended family. This goes back to a house church model. Inside the house, social distancing is put aside as we all made the decision to become, in a sense, one family. So we're sharing all the germs. Pods have some responsibility for teaching the children while there's worship, and then the two switch responsibilities so that both have an opportunity to worship. Pods can also have family-integrated worship with songs and a message appropriate for all the ages of all attending. Uh, how about this? So I like the pod option, and I think that several people at our church have done that, and I think that's a unique way, and I would love for that to happen more, especially for those who've just been in a place of seclusion. And it might be that you extend your—it causes sacrifices on both ends for the person who's extending their periphery of people they interact with, and then those who are in a pod that are kind of like— whatever, they're going to have to not extend that social interaction and mask up a little bit more to um, cater to um, the spiritual needs of those who are more sensitive, okay, or more um, concerned about or have health issues, okay. So we can also gather outside in larger groups and ensure that we're practicing social distancing. This gives the opportunity to worship without the struggle of keeping children quiet as being outside allows for more distance and for children to be able to wander. In fact, Greg Laurie's church in California. So in, in California, you've got the John MacArthur church that is like, we're meeting inside. We can't meet outside. We, there's no way. And then Greg Laurie's church that like rented a football field and they do several services outside under a tent. So there's, there's a way to do it. 
it's hard and it's work, but I think it's worth it. In fact, our church, um, not on August 16th, we're going to meet outside. We're going to use Calvary Worship Centers, uh, worships, well, worship space, their, their field right outside their church to worship. And um, we're asking people to bring their own tents, <laughs> uh, to bring their own tents to worship with us. And we are going to socially distance as best we can. And we're going to be outside. And I'm wanting as many people as we can, you know, can come. You can have over several hundred people there and it probably wouldn't be a problem. I, I think that would be a really special and powerful way to come together and worship and sing and, and see the body of Christ interacting as one. Or we can get back at church and be careful. Uh, until there's a vaccine, there won't be any going back to normal. All right, Restaurants are open and are safe somehow. Home Depot is open and safe, but it's different. right? You go to the restaurant, you have to wear the mask until you sit down. Uh, if you're at Home Depot, you wear your mask the whole time. People are wor working 12-hour shifts with masks on, so we can come back together and safely take measures to mitigate the spread of a virus we can't see. Now, one of the thing, the difficult things that many of us face is that somehow a virus has become political and people become visceral with their opinions whether something is right or wrong. With doctors, scientists, and many disagreeing on this, and since most of us listening to me right now, you're not an epidemiologist, we cannot let our opinions trump our faith in Christ. Each one should do what God has directed them. This gets back to don't judge another man's servant. I think that's Romans 14. We must follow our faith and not our fear. We can't fear that the Christian faith will die if people don't physically meet, and we can't fear that death will be caused if people do meet in person. We must love one another. And listen, if you're like, all those people out there, they're ruining and they're killing people if by just meeting, then don't go outside. And don't criticize your, your brother in Christ. You stay safe. I mean, at some point, the, there's going to be a lot of people that are exposed. And we, no one ever said, and I don't, now I don't, want to get, I don't want to get political with this, but the reason why we have been doing social distancing and the reason why we shut down the country for a while was to flatten the curve, not stop the curve. And the reason you flatten the curve is so that hospitals don't become overcome. And if you look at hospital usage now, between now and last year, it's the exact same. Okay, now I'm getting political. I don't want to get political. That's my whole point. All right. Whatever you feel about how to gather, please make every effort to join worship. And I want to do a better job of creating an online environment where you can interact, uh, just as I experienced what I experienced on Zoom. Um, so if you're a person that's like, I'm only going to do it online, and so don't you try and change me. I'm not, I don't want to try and change you. Um, but I think it's so powerful when you can see and worship alongside other people. Um, it's powerful. It's for your soul's benefit. And know that when you're not participating, listen to me, this is, this is so important. When you don't participate, you are missed. Why are you missed? Because when you are not there, then the person that's like you isn't there. And so when a person who comes to church, comes to church and they don't see the person that's like them, you, they go, this, per this church isn't for me. Maybe there's no person like me. That's the beauty of the church. It's, it's, it's the gathering of all different types of people coming together across racial boundaries. So if you are um, a minority person and you don't show up, that means another person of a minority shows up and they go, oh, that's my, that my person isn't here. And all of a sudden you are there. They may never even talk to you, but they'll feel like I'm not alone. Or if you're a person that's like a gamer, um, 
nerdy type person. And all you see are like the people talk about football all the time. You're like, nah, it's not my people. You're needed. The body of Christ is so diverse. The body of Christ is is so across the board. If if you are the person that is um if if like you are a person that's like liberal in your leanings politically and you're not there, then yet then other people who are liberal in their leanings, they're not gonna show up. Because I feel like nobody gets me, nobody understands me. If you if the conservative people are the only ones that are there, then everyone just assumes, well, that the church is just a uh, right-hand conspiracy for the right. <laughs> you know what I mean. Anyway, I digress. We love you as a church, and we need to be together. we got to figure it out. So uh, that's where I'm going to end off today. So I'm excited about um, where we're going in the direction of our church. I'm looking forward to meeting with all of you because I miss you. There's my two cents, and thanks for listening and joining the um Pastor Plex podcast. If you wouldn't mind, just share this and let a friend know.